You're listening to the Central City Assembly podcast. We're dedicated to sharing content that magnifies and multiplies Jesus for the good of our city and helps you grow in your love for Jesus. So enjoy this episode and may you be filled with the love of God the Father. Happy Easter, church family. Happy Resurrection Sunday. Um, I am so glad to see all of you. Like, no joke. I'm not, that's not just a pastorly thing to say on Sunday. No, I am so glad to see you. Um, I'm, I'm glad to see some of your faces that I haven't seen in person for over a year. It's so good to see you. Um, church family joining us online, we're so, I can't see you, but I'm imagining all your faces in my mind. Um, I am so glad to see you. So thankful that you would choose to come and worship and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus with, with us, with CCA, our church family. And what I want you to do is uh, I want you to turn to somebody sitting next to you and say, I'm glad to see you. Maybe somebody else next to you. I'm glad to see you. If you're online, I'm glad to see you. Now, I want you to, I want you to think about that, that phrase. Um, I'm glad to see you, okay? Um, and I want you to think if there's anyone in your life that you can say that to and mean it 100% of the time. Like every time you see them, you're just filled with and gladness, uh, like every time Buddy the Elf meets somebody new or somebody that he remembers, he's like, hi, remember me, right? You can just tell, so excited to see people. Can you think of someone in your life that you're always glad to see? Maybe a friend, a classmate, a coworker, maybe a family member, your parents, um, your kids, maybe your kids, your spouse, hopefully your spouse, um, I know for me, um, you know, this is going to sound mushy, but every time I wake up in the morning, I am glad to see my wife right next to me. I'm glad to see my boys and their messy bedheads when they wake up in the morning. Every time I FaceTime with my parents or, or my siblings or when I get to see them face to face, I am always glad to see them. I'm filled with joy and happiness and love. Can you think of someone in your life that you are always glad to see? I'm sure you can. I'm sure you can also think of people in your life who you are not always glad to see, right? Uh, there are people who when they come around into your life, instead of being like, hi, you're like, oh, no. Right? You're, you're like Jerry Seinfeld in, in Seinfeld. Every time Newman comes around, his arch nemesis, he's like, hello, Newman, every single time. Right? For whatever reason, you're not glad to see them. And sometimes the people that you are glad to see and the people that you're not glad to see, sometimes they're the same people. It can happen. Right? Like when one of my boys are in one of their moods, if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. Right? It's like they're a completely different person. Right? And if I'm honest, I'm not glad to see them in that moment. Right? I want to see the other version of them that I am usually glad to see. 
Maybe you've encountered this with, with your own kids, maybe a family member, sibling, right? Coworker who's just in one of those moods, right? Sometimes we aren't always glad to see the people we are usually glad to see. And the reason for that can be many and different for all of us, right? But, but check this out. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, all right, Paul writes this. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice. Everybody say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. And then in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And what's interesting about that word rejoice, especially in the, in the Greek, is that it not only means to be glad and filled with joy, but the biblical Greek of rejoice, it can also mean a greeting. It's used in the Bible as a, as a welcome, as a hello, like, hi, I'm glad to see you. It can mean that too. And so when Paul says rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord always, Paul is saying we should always be glad to see Jesus. Right now, we, I know, we might not see Jesus with our physical eyes. It's not impossible. There are stories of people who've seen Jesus face to face. I mean, Paul, he saw the resurrected Jesus with his own eyes. Right, so, so it's possible, but we might not see Jesus with our own physical eyes all the time, but, but we can see him in a sense when we read about him in the scriptures. We can see and experience Jesus when we pray, when we worship. We can see Jesus when we think about him or, or meditate on who he is. And we, we can see Jesus when Someone we love, someone we know, maybe even a complete stranger shows us the love of Jesus in some way. And my question to you this morning, main question for you this morning is, when you see Jesus in this way, are you always glad to see him? Do, do you rejoice in the Lord always? It is Easter, after all. We celebrate and rejoice in the fact that Jesus is alive, right? He has overcome death, sin, and Satan on our behalf, right? Today is a rejoicing, we're glad to know and see Jesus kind of day, amen, right? But are we always glad to see Jesus? Or does that glad to see you feeling um, that rejoicing in Jesus, does it fade from time to time? I think if we're all honest with ourselves, including myself, and we'd say, no, we're not always glad to see Jesus. And because growing in relationship with Jesus, it can be hard, right? Reading scripture, prayer, worship, meditating on him, all of that can feel like a chore sometimes rather than a joy. We feel so, or maybe we feel so overwhelmed by our own failures and, and shortcomings that, that we feel guilty or ashamed to enter into the presence of God. Sometimes the people we are glad to see are also the people we aren't so glad to see. It happens, including with Jesus. But why? Why? Well, that, that's the subject of Paul's writing today in the, the first 11 verses of Philippians chapter 3. Um, we're in our perspective series. We've been going strong for a few weeks now, um, and, and we're going through the book of Philippians together. We're, we're learning how to have a, a, a right, a God perspective on the world and people around us. And perspective is all about mindset, right? And today, as we look at Philippians chapter 3, 
Paul's going to show us that the reason our desire to rejoice in Jesus, the reason why it fades sometimes is because our minds are set on things that don't have the ability to bring us joy. There are things in this world that attempt to draw our minds away from Jesus that seem important and valuable, but they aren't. They just cannot bring us joy, right? The object of your joy is important. We can't forget that. And so Paul also gives us some some things to remember about Jesus that will help us to not lose that glad-to-see-you feeling that I think we all wish we had all of the time when it comes to Jesus. And so the title of today's message is Rejoice, and we've got a subtitle today, Glad to See You. Amen? Let's pray. Let's ask God to guide us through his words this morning. God, we thank you for welcoming us into your presence We thank you that we have this opportunity to celebrate the resurrected Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that you are alive. We thank you for the power of resurrection in our lives. And we pray that you would help us to understand more what that means personally for for us as your children. Guide us through your word this morning, God. Help us to see and have the perspective that you desire for us to have. We thank you. We say all of these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. All right. If you haven't already, go ahead and open your Bible to Philippians chapter 3. Um, if you need a Bible, we have some on the back uh, little shelf right there. Uh, feel free to grab one of those for yourself and keep it for yourself. Um, but let's do the work. Let's open our Bibles, digital, physical, whatever you've got. And let's start reading Philippians chapter 3. We're going to read through verses 1 through 11 today. Okay, so again, uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 says, Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. And then he continues, To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Now, I love that Paul is unashamed to be repetitive. I think a lot of pastors get tired of saying the same thing over and over again. Paul's like, I don't care. I'm going to say it over and over again. Right? And uh, because remember that uh, for, for some, they referred to the book of Philippians as God's guide to joy. Right? Out of the 140 verses in Philippians, not very many, Paul mentions joy or rejoicing 19 times, which is a lot for such a short letter. So Paul, he's repetitive on this topic of joy, and he's not ashamed to write the same thing over and over again. And what I love, though, is the reason that he gives for being so repetitive. Right? The reason he gives, uh, especially for be- on this topic of rejoicing in the Lord, is because it's safe for you. Which seems to suggest that to not rejoice in Jesus to lose that glad-to-see-you feeling about Jesus, it's dangerous, right? dangerous for your relationship with him. Right? I mean, if you found yourself not being glad to see someone that you once were always glad to see, then you'd probably take that as a clue that something is wrong in your relationship with them. Right? Your, your relationship with that person is in danger And the same is true for our relationship with Jesus. Something is wrong if we are losing that 
not so glad to see or that glad to see you Jesus feeling in our lives that we once had. Something's wrong. And so Paul is saying, you know what? I'm going to keep repeating myself about joy and rejoicing in the Lord because I, it's safe for you. I don't want you to lose that glad to see Jesus feeling. I don't want your relationship with Jesus to be in danger. And let's face it, it's Easter again, right? This happens every single year. And what do we talk about Easter every single year? The resurrection of Jesus, right? It happens every year. And the question is, are you still celebrating? Are you still rejoicing? Are you still glad to talk about the resurrection of Jesus? Are you glad to see him? Right, that's what Paul is getting at. He's saying, rejoice in the Lord always. It's safe for you. Keep rejoicing. Don't stop. Then in verse 2, he gives us some warnings. He says, look out. Everybody say, look out. He says this three times. Uh, look out for these certain things that will try and steal your focus, your joy away from Jesus. He says in verse 2, let's look at it together. He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, up until this point, Paul's words in Philippians have been gentle. Remember, Philippians is a love letter to Paul's favorite church. But here in chapter 3, verse 2, for the first time, Paul's words get sharp. They get a little nasty, right? He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. The tone of his writing here is so different from the rest of the letter, which I appreciate because you want your warnings to be sharp and jarring and shocking to you. Because you don't want to miss warnings. It could lead to bad things. So I appreciate Paul's change in tone here. But what the heck is he talking about? Dogs, evildoers, mutilators of the flesh, right? Warnings are only good if you understand the warnings, right? This is totally random. But I remember somebody um, driving in Canada or something. And they said, don't let moose lick your cars. And he wasn't from Canada. He's like, what do I do with that? I don't understand this warning. Anyways, that wasn't in my writing. Let's go. Okay, so the, these dogs, right? These, these evildoers and, and mutilators, they're actually the same group of people. A, a group of people referred to as the Judaizers. Now, these Judaizers, it's, it's not the name of a band. It might be a good name for a band if you want to jot that one down, Luke. Um, but they were a group of ethnically Jewish people who had come to faith in Jesus, right? But, but they believed that in order to be truly saved, in order to be truly a member of God's family, God's chosen people, you essentially had to become Jewish. Believing in Jesus was a good start, but you also had to follow the Old Testament Jewish laws and rituals. You had to stop eating certain foods. Grown men had to be circumcised, right? Which if you were already a follower or already Jewish um, who became a Christian, then all of these things weren't that big of a deal. But faith in Jesus isn't just for Jewish people, right? But for all people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And so these Judaizers, they were going around telling Gentiles, non-Jewish people, that yes, it's good that you believe in Jesus, 
But if you really want to be saved, if you really want to be a part of the family of God, you also have to stop eating certain foods. Sorry, you can't eat bacon anymore. Right? They, they, they had to follow certain laws like those pertaining to the Sabbath. And grown men, in order to come to faith, they had to be circumcised. If you ask me, it's not a very good marketing campaign for Christianity. Right? But, but we know from Scripture that Jesus, through his perfect life, already fulfilled the law so that we don't have to. Not that we throw away the Old Testament and Ten Commandments. All of those are good ideas, but our salvation is not dependent upon those. We are saved by faith, by believing in Jesus as our risen Savior and Lord. That's part of the rejoicing and joy that we have as followers of Jesus. We're no longer bound by those laws to be accepted and loved by God anymore. We, we can eat bacon freely without any guilt, right? Men don't have to be circumcised. Rejoice, right? Thank you, Jesus. And that's what Paul emphasized in sharing the gospel everywhere he went, right? Works cannot save you, he would say. Laws cannot save you. Only faith in Jesus can. Salvation is a free gift of grace from God that has been bought and paid for by the blood of his son, Jesus. Right? And if you accept that gift for yourself, then you're saved. You're part of the family of God. That's it. But the Judaizers would follow Paul around, telling his churches that he planted, that they were not truly saved. They were not truly members of the family of God unless they did all these other things. And instead of focusing on rejoicing in Jesus and Jesus alone, the Judaizers were drawing people's focus and joy away from simply loving Jesus. And so Paul, he had some choice words for these Judaizers. He calls them dogs, which is a term that Jewish people used for Gentiles, non-Jewish people. Um, During Paul's time, dogs were not pets. Uh, They were more like vermin in the community. They were not allowed in the house with the family. They were unclean. They would eat trash and garbage off the street. There's even some ancient documentation showing that they would eat the flesh of people, right? Gross. And so this wasn't a very kind term used towards non-Jewish people, right? To say that they were outside the family, they didn't belong. To say that they were unclean, they were filthy, they were vermin. But Paul, he flips the term around and he says, no, these Judaizers are the dogs. They are the ones who are outside, not part of the family of God because they preach a different gospel. He calls them evildoers because they emphasized good works, but it was actually bad works that they were doing. They had to do these things in order to be saved, making Christianity a works-based faith, which again is not the true gospel of Jesus. And thirdly, he calls them flesh mutilators because they told men that unless they were circumcised, unless they mutilated their flesh in this way, they weren't truly saved. Can you imagine if I implemented these rules? All of you would leave, right? And and the point of Paul's sharp words is to warn us that these things, these false teachings, will not and cannot bring us true joy. 
right? They can't, but that they'll actually draw us away from Jesus. If we focus on rules and laws and rituals, they won't help our relationship with Jesus. They will hurt our relationship with Jesus. And you might think, well, I know my salvation doesn't depend on following the Old Testament law anymore. I gladly enjoy bacon. I know I don't have to be circumcised to be a member of the family of God. Thank God. But you know what? I think for some of us, we have a habit of imposing our own laws and rituals, rules on ourselves and also on others. I think we sometimes feel like we have to do things and work and strive in order to be accepted by God. And we feel like we have to earn our righteousness, our forgiveness, our salvation. We have to clean ourselves up, be good before we enter into the presence of God. But Paul is saying, no, look out for those things. That's not the true gospel of Jesus. If you focus on trying to earn your salvation on your own, you're going to lose that rejoicing, that glad-to-see-Jesus feeling that we all want to have. So in verse 3, Paul, he drops the new perspective. And he says in verse 3, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory or boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Circumcision is no longer about the flesh, but about the heart. It's about our spirits. Our mark that shows that we are part of the family of God has nothing to do with skin. It has everything to do with spirit, right? It's because we have the spirit of God in us, and we worship God by that spirit. Being a Christian means that we glory or boast in who Jesus is and what he's done for us, not in what we can do for ourselves. And we put no confidence in the flesh, in our own strength, our own ability to save ourselves. Jesus has done it all for us. And if that is our focus, that Jesus, is, Jesus lived the life I couldn't, he died the death that I should have, and he rose from the dead all for my benefit, then when we think of Jesus on these terms, we will always rejoice we will always be glad to see Jesus. And so if you find yourself today, or maybe recently, losing that glad to see you feeling in Jesus, it's time to ask yourself and reflect, what are you focusing on? What are you striving for? Are you focused on self and your own self-righteousness? Are you striving to earn something that has already been checked? Hello? Right, listen, you don't have to beat yourself up to earn your forgiveness anymore. Right? Jesus already took the beating. His flesh was already mutilated so that you are forgiven right now. Right? Simply worship Jesus in the Spirit of God. Glory and boast in Jesus and what He's done. Put your confidence in Him and Him alone, and you'll always rejoice in Him. You'll always be glad to see Him. That's what Paul's saying. And what I love about Paul in sharing these warnings and sharing this teaching is that he speaks from a been there, done that, and it didn't work kind of experience. 
Paul sets himself up as an example from his own personal story, which has a powerful effect of of really driving his points home. Paul's not speaking from an outsider looking in. He's essentially speaking from a position of being a Judaizer himself. So after saying that we put no confidence in the flesh in verse 3, let's look at verse 4. Paul says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, hey, I have more. Now, this sounds like Paul is saying the exact opposite of what he just said in verse 3, right? But he's trying to make a point about his past life before Jesus. Because before he was Paul, he was Saul. Before he saw the resurrected Jesus with his own eyes, before he went around sharing the gospel of the free gift of salvation, before that, he lived a completely different life. He says in verse 5, let's go through these. He says, verse 5, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Now he's saying, I wasn't just Jewish by faith, but by ethnicity. He wasn't a, a Jewish convert. He was born Jewish, born into the family of God. And for Jewish people, it was a badge of honor to be able to trace your lineage to one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And if you could trace it back to one of the more favored ones, like the tribe of Benjamin, then that was even better. Paul wasn't just Jewish or Hebrew. He was the Hebrew of Hebrews, he's saying. He continues in verse 5. As to the law, a Pharisee. Paul was part of a Jewish sect known as the Pharisees. Now, Pharisaism came about as a response to the nation of Israel becoming lax in following the Old Testament laws and rituals. And to push back against this and to preserve their their way of life, the Pharisees said, okay, we're going to follow the Old Testament laws to the T. We're going to be super strict so that we don't lose this part of our faith. And so Paul was a Pharisee. He studied under the renowned Pharisee rabbi named Gamaliel. Uh, Paul was an up-and-coming leader in the Pharisee and Jewish community. He continues, verse 6, as to zeal, as to passion, he says, I was a persecutor of the church. How passionate was Paul about his faith and observance as a Pharisee and Jew? He was so passionate that he was willing to arrest and even assist in the execution of Jews who profess Jesus as the Messiah. The Pharisees saw Jesus as a blasphemer, a false prophet, a false God. In fact, when Paul uh, saw the resurrected Jesus, he was on his way. He was hunting down other Jews who were following Jesus. And then finally, he finishes in verse 6, saying, as to righteousness under the law, he's talking about the Old Testament laws and rules, he says he's blameless. Paul followed the Old Testament laws and rituals to the T. Paul doesn't mean that he was without sin or that he never messed up, but if he did sin, if he did mess up, he was quick to turn around, do whatever he had to do, a sacrifice, cleanliness ritual, whatever, in order to be seen blameless in the eyes of God again. And the point he's making is that if there are any Jewish people who can boast about their achievements, their faithfulness to God, and the law, and their their passion of being in the family of God, then it's him. 
He's saying, there's no one like me. Right? He was the best, a model example of what it means to be Jewish. Everything that the Judaizers were saying to do, Paul did it, right? But what did he gain from that kind of faith and lifestyle? Verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. All of his accomplishments and achievements to be seen as holy and righteous in God's eyes, to be the best Jew he could be. He says it amounted to nothing compared to the glorious life, death, and resurrection of Jesus on his behalf. Okay, let's think of it this way, all right? Imagine working, working hard your whole life towards retirement. Maybe you're doing that right now, right? Extra hours, saving money, for the goal of living a, a comfortable retirement life, investing, making sacrifices to, to save every penny, right? And then the day finally comes to retire. What an accomplishment, right? It truly is. Not a lot of people can retire that way, right? That, that's what many people in America are working towards as we speak. Okay, but what if on the day of your retirement, someone came up to you and said, hey, you can live off of what you've done and built up for, for decades, or how about I fund your retirement for you? I'll pay for everything. You'll have so much money that you won't even have to worry about that shrinking nest egg. You'll be able to travel, do all of these kinds of things. You'll have way more with me funding your retirement than you would have with anything that you've done for yourself. Wow. But you have to give up everything you've worked for over the past decades. Can you imagine that? Some of you are like, yeah, let's do it, right? Which would you choose? Which is better, right? How would you feel about the many years of hard work and striving compared to what this person is offering you? Which would be worth more to you? Now, in my opinion, the answer, I would think, seems pretty easy but I can imagine people saying, there's no way. I'm just going to give up and throw away my years of hard work. Right? There's no way. I'm just going to throw all of that away. I worked hard for that. I can imagine people choosing that. And I think when it comes to faith and salvation, there are some people who would choose their way over Jesus' way. They would choose work and striving over the free gift of salvation. But Paul's saying, no way, no way. Verse seven, but whatever gain I had in that old life, right, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ in this new life. Verse eight, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He's saying knowing Jesus and knowing the life and the salvation he freely offers is way more valuable Right? It's worth way more than anything I can do and have done for myself. He keeps going. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. A modern translation of that word is crap. Okay, He counts it as, as garbage, as filth, in order that I may gain Christ. This is a no-brainer for Paul. Right? And he's that his readers see it as a no-brainer too. 
He's saying, you can go, you can choose the self-righteous, self-striving way of the Judaizers. It's not actually going to bring you joy. Or you can go the way of rejoicing in Jesus always. You can live off of whatever you think you can do for yourself, or you can live off of what Jesus has already done for you through his life, death, and resurrection. And then Paul goes on to say in verse 9, to talk about um, all that there is to gain in Christ Jesus. He says that I may gain Christ, verse 9, and be found in him. I love this so much. He's talking about identity, right? Paul found himself, his true identity as a child of God in Jesus. How many people do you know who are working and striving to figure out who who they are? their identity, they're building their brand, their platform, right? How many people do you know are doing that? Paul's saying, you know what? It was so easy for me when I gave my life to Jesus. It was so easy to find my identity in him. Paul keeps going in verse 9. What else do we gain in Christ? He says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. Righteousness from God that depends on faith. I think I need some batteries, Caitlin. Or Luke, thank you. I'm going to read that one more time. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Contemplate that verse for a moment. What did you think of that verse? (laughs) The the point of this verse right here, and what I get from this, and what I believe full-heartedly, is that every person wants to be seen as right and righteous. Everybody. Everyone wants to be seen as good. They want to see their way of life as the right way. Righteousness is not a religious matter. It's a human matter. And again, Paul is saying, you can choose to make self-righteous by following religious laws. And for our day and age today, you can choose to be righteous by following the culture's laws. Let's face it, the world around us has a much different standard for what it means to be righteous. What causes are you following? What are you posting on Facebook? What do you believe? Right? Because the world today has its own standard. There's there's no way we can keep up with it all either. That's righteousness on your own. Or you can choose the kind of righteousness that comes simply through faith in Jesus. A true righteousness from a righteous God that depends on faith and not works. You choose, Paul is saying. What else can we gain from Christ? Verse 10, he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. When we gain Christ, we gain a friend. We gain someone that we can know intimately, and they know us back. Not many people have that, but you can have that in Jesus. In Christ, we also understand better the power of Jesus' resurrection. This is an Easter message, okay? 
Right? We understand the power of Jesus' resurrection. Why is Jesus' resurrection so important and powerful? Why do we celebrate Easter? Well, through resurrection from the dead, Jesus proves he is who he says he is. Right? The Messiah, Savior of the world, the Son of God. Right? But a resurrected, living Jesus also means that he's able to follow through with all of the promises he made while here on earth. Jesus promised abundant life. He promised provision. He promised acceptance. He promised that he would always be with us. He promised joy. He promised favor and blessing. And guess what? A dead person can't make good on their promises, but a living, resurrected person can, and that's Jesus. Right? And the fact that Jesus conquered death, it proves that he's powerful enough to fulfill all of those promises. That's the power of Jesus' resurrection. Right, verse 10 again, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his suffering, becoming like him in death. As much as we don't want to hear that, Jesus also promised that we will experience trials and suffering. Whether you follow Jesus or not, you're going to experience trials and suffering. But when we follow, we partner with him to build his kingdom on earth, which is counter to the culture, the world kingdom, you're going to face some pushback. You're going to face some persecution and suffering. But get this, only Jesus can promise that our suffering won't be for nothing. Only Jesus can do that. Right, so, so you can take chances and risks in the world, but there's no guarantee that they will pay off. But with Jesus, he guarantees that the suffering we endure will pay off because his resurrection means our resurrection. And not just in a spiritual sense, but in a physical sense. Verse 11, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Because Jesus is alive, our death, when we leave this earth, does not end there. We have hope and confidence that we will be truly resurrected to life again. Right? There's hope and purpose for this life. It leads to something incredibly amazing that we can't fully imagine right now. It's hard for us to imagine and even believe. But Jesus promises it because Jesus' resurrection is our resurrection. And so when I, when I remember all that I have to gain in Jesus, when I remember who he is and what he's done for me, when I remember all that he's done is way better than anything I can do in my own power and strength, when I remember that my identity is formed and found in Christ, when I remember that I have true righteousness, when I remember that I have a friend in Jesus, that my suffering and difficulties in this life aren't for nothing. When I remember that I have uh, the promise and the power of resurrection in my own life, that this is one amazing thing stacked on top of one another so many. And when I remember those things, I'm blown away. I'm overjoyed. I'm glad to see and know Jesus in my life. And when I find that glad to see you feeling, starting to fade. It happens to all of us. When I start to see my faith as a, as a chore rather than a joy, Paul's encouragement in that moment, in these verses, is to remember and rejoice in 
Jesus. Set your focus on him again and resurrect your joy again. Right? And that's the encouragement we have today on this Easter Resurrection Sunday. We shouldn't grow tired of hearing the resurrection story every single year, but we should embrace it and see it as safe for us. It protects our joy. So as we close, are you still rejoicing in Jesus this Easter? Are you still glad to see Jesus? Well, if you still need a little more encouraging after all of that, after all those 11 verses, I've got one more thing for you to think about right here. Because on the first Easter Sunday, over 2,000 years ago, we know this story well, but two women, both named Mary, who loved Jesus so much, right, that they went to see him in his tomb after he died. I think about that. They missed being so near to Jesus so much that even just being by his tomb was enough for them. Man, I want that kind of love. But to to, to their surprise, when they arrived at his tomb, Jesus was gone. Now an angel had met them at the tomb, and and he told the two Marys not to be afraid, and that Jesus was alive. The angel told them to, to go run and tell the other disciples that Jesus is alive. And so they take off running. And in Matthew chapter 28, verse 8, you can turn there, or we'll just throw it up on the screen. I love this. Verse 8, it says, So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear joy, there's that word again, and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, anytime you see that word behold, pay attention. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. I love this so much. Because upon seeing the two Marys, Jesus says, greetings. He's like Buddy the Elf, hi, remember me. He's so excited. And what's so cool about Jesus' greeting is that the same Greek word that Paul uses for rejoicing in chapter 3, verse 1, is the same word right here in Jesus' word, greeting. Upon seeing his friends, Jesus says, greetings. I'm so glad to see you. I'm so glad to see you. And you have to think about the disciples in this moment. The person that they thought was the savior of the world, the Messiah, had died. Their friend who they, who they believed and followed for so many years, he was gone. And we know for some of the disciples, their faith had started to fade. They started to wonder and doubt if Jesus really was who he said he was. And Jesus, the risen Jesus, being God, he knew what was on their hearts. He knew what they were thinking. And still he looked at them and said, greetings. I'm so glad to see you. And though our rejoicing and our glad to see you feelings towards Jesus might fade from time to time, Jesus is always, always, always glad to see us. He's always glad to see us. No matter how far you've strayed from him, no matter what you've done, no matter your fears and doubts that you've developed over the years, when you turn back to Jesus, he's always glad to see you. And that's a reason for rejoicing, church family. 
Right? That's a reason to be glad to see Jesus and to know him in your life because Jesus is always glad to see you. So maybe you're here this morning and you've noticed that, man, that glad to see you feeling towards Jesus, it's, it's faded a little bit. You've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, but you realize, man, something's, something's not quite right. My hope is that you would take inventory of your life, just like Paul did in these verses, and you'd see what's truly valuable to you. You consider everything that you're doing for yourself and your own self-striving, you would see it as a loss compared to the gain that you have in Jesus. And that your rejoicing would be revived again. Or maybe you're here and or watching online and, and just your whole life has been your own strength and power. Your whole your own way. And you've never even considered Jesus's way. Well, my hope is that you would simply accept Jesus today, that you would stop striving, that you would stop trying to work out your, your salvation, whatever that looks like, and you would accept the salvation of Jesus for yourself, that you choose his righteousness over your own. And all that's required of you is to simply say yes to Jesus, to simply say, I choose you, Jesus, over myself. I choose your way over my way. And so my hope, where, wherever you find yourself this morning, is that you would set your focus back on Jesus, that you would see the Jesus who's glad to see you, and that gladness would be revived in your own heart this morning. So let me, let me pray for you. Just take a moment to, to identify where, where do you lie on either of those. Have you been following Jesus, but something's just different? It's not, not the same. What are you focusing on? What are you striving towards? If you're not a follower of Jesus, if you don't identify as a Christian, and you've just been going your own way, how's that working out for you? Do you truly have joy? Do you truly feel right and righteous in your own life? Wherever you are, the solution is the same. Turn back to Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord. Give your life to Jesus. Choose his way over your way. He promises you will have joy. So, Father, I pray that you would begin to do a mighty work in our lives. Jesus, by your resurrection power, I pray that you would resurrect joy in our lives, rejoicing in our lives towards you, Jesus. That where that joy has grown, I speak resurrection power over that joy in your life right now. I say, come back alive in the name of Jesus. Receive Jesus' work in his life, death, and resurrection for yourself freely in Jesus' name. 
And God, I pray that as we leave this place and prepare to go out into the world around us, everywhere we go, we'd be happy to see you there. Everywhere we go, we'd rejoice in knowing that you, Jesus, are with us. And when we wake up in the morning, the first thing that we'd want to do is be with you, Jesus. To pray, to read scripture, to worship, whatever it is, to think about you. But that gladness would never fade in the name of Jesus. So would you help us, God? Resurrect that joy in us again. We thank you, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So as usual, I, I want to give you some questions to think about. Um, so we can go ahead and throw those questions up. Um, we're going to do things a differently this week. So I encourage you, write these down quickly or take a picture, take a screenshot. Um, at the end, we usually take some time to reflect on these questions, but I'd like to go through communion with you this morning. We just don't have a whole lot of time. So really take these questions, think about them throughout the week for yourself, or be a part of a growth group where you can dive into these questions with your church family, okay? So question one, what do you think causes your rejoicing in Jesus to fade from time to time? Number two, what is it about Jesus that brings you joy, that makes you happy to know and see him in your life? Number three, this is a question, but also a challenge. Who in your life can you lean on to help you remember Jesus when your faith starts to fade? If you don't know anybody, find somebody. I can help you, okay? Number four, what will you do this week to help you revive your rejoicing in Jesus? Amen. Thank you for listening. If you are blessed by this episode and would like to help us create more content that magnifies and multiplies Jesus, would you consider giving a financial gift of any amount today? Whatever you give will go towards building the kingdom of God in the lives of people all over the world. Thank you for your support, and we pray many blessings over you.